Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. Hello, friends. I'm so excited today to have Dr. Teresa Wood join us today. She started out her career in philosophy and has always been interested in the ways in which science and belief are applied to our bodies, our wellness, our sexuality, and our education. For years afterward, she used her stage presence and her poetry and her humorous teaching style to help her audience unlearn the old school sex education that created fear and shame in place of respectful sexuality. Her pleasure positive sexy seminars replaced sex ed with awareness, empowerment, and access to healthy hotness within relationships. So then she went to medical school in 2006 and pursued her interest in sexual medicine. And she continues to write and work in British Columbia, Canada as a physician and as a sex intimacy and relationship coach, revamping the topic formerly known as sex ed. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I love the the formerly known as sex ed, like it died and you like it created a new, somebody had just told me like what we got taught was never sex ed. It was preventative reproduction. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There was actually very little sexual education going on in whatever education we think we got. Well, I think that's one of the problems is you actually get a fair bit of education from silence and the things you're most silent about are the things that get most silenced. So while we didn't get education about sex and sexuality, we were kind of taught that they shouldn't be discussed, that they weren't a thing, and that sexual pleasure is not the goal. And the goal is procreate or don't procreate. And in that context, we have a lot of intercourse, goal-oriented intercourse-directed sex, which leaves as we keep showing over and over in the literature, about 50% of the population sexually frustrated at a biochemical level and 50% fully satisfied on their way to work wondering why their partners are so cuddly. Well, I call those kind of the pathological cuddles of a frustrated lover, right? And they're not thinking, oh, wow, that was amazing. They're thinking, what do you mean you're done? What do you mean we're done? I'm not done. And they don't even know they think that because we don't even talk about what done would look like for people with a clitoris, right? I think, yeah, and I love talking about that because I don't think a lot of women would actually say they're sexually frustrated in like the sense of like an unmet need. It's more like it's so bad or unsatisfying in the first place that they don't even know that there is a sexual them to be discovered. Does that make sense? Right. You know, the book that I just finished writing is about the loss of foreplay. And really the joke about foreplay for me is that it's called foreplay. I mean, I'm, I'm a philosopher, so I'm very interested in words because they make a difference. They kind of re-brainwash us every time. But that word sounds like this part is for play and that part is for sex. Or if you want to go more into it, foreplay means the play before the real thing, right? So as you call foreplay, foreplay, you diminish its value in terms of the thing that needs to happen or the, the goal of the sex, right? So now you've given, you call sex intercourse and you call everything else foreplay and you slowly diminish the amount of play part to get to the real thing. And I'll have couples tell me that all the time. I don't know why she doesn't want to have sex anymore. We have you know, I want to have it all the time and she doesn't. And I say, well, when's the last time she had sex? And they'll say, well, we tried last week. And I say, no, no, no. When's the last time she had sex? Because sex for her 
is the floor play? We're just calling it the wrong thing. We should call it for sex. Yeah. But right now we're diminishing her for sex, for his sex. And the only reason we're doing that is because we weren't allowed to talk about anything except intercourse. And intercourse is hot. People love the feeling of penetration. People of all genders love the feeling of penetration. But the clitoris is the only part of the body that's analogous to the penis biochemically, physiologically, anatomically. And those analogous structures are the only ones that bring people to the kind of orgasm in the brain that tells our reward center, let's do that again. So if 50% of each couple that's heterosexual out there is getting the message, yeah, let's do that again, and the other 50% is like, meh, <laughs> then we've got a rising disparity in libido and we call it normal for women not to have a natural sex drive, but we cause that. We cause that with bad sex education and we can fix that with good sex education. I love it. So our current state of sex ed is basically saying, especially in heterosexual, right? If you look at the data between what heterosexual sex is versus non, you know, standard heterosexual sex is it is the penis and the vagina. So it's like we were never taught about the clitoris. We were never taught about the female's pleasure. We're just taught plenty about diseases, pregnancy, and we're taught about what turns a man on, what gives him pleasure. Totally. Yeah. It's even to the point, and I have a whole chapter on breasts in my book, because it's to the point that young girls think that the breasts are there to please men. Like it's so wrong because the breasts have the hormone oxytocin that is stimulated by the proper kind of suckling that an infant does to get the milk to come down that a partner can do to get the oxytocin flowing. And oxytocin is one of our orgasm hormones, but we don't even know, they're not even told that those things are there for their pleasure. It sounds like they're there for the observation of others. And then women are self-conscious about how they look and that they're asymmetrical. Well, there isn't a symmetrical set of breasts that was made by nature. We're all asymmetrical. So that's normal. And the size doesn't matter in terms of the stimulation and the ability to breastfeed. That same ability is the oxytocin link, which is the turn-on link, which is actually an orgasm-type hormone. So you can actually reach orgasm from proper breast stimulation. But Women are like, oh, don't, don't, or do I look right? It is not about how they look. It's about how good that feels to get that oxytocin running. Totally. I love it. I love it. Where, what advice do you have for women when they're like, they're so stuck on body image or this kind of performance-based sex that we see in society and video and all this stuff. They're kind of stuck in this, like almost watching themselves have sex. And like, is it good enough? Is it okay? What advice do you have for them to kind of switch out of that? Oh gosh, I've, if I thought the problem was just in women's heads <laughs> and I could fix it like that. I mean, first of all, Hollywood needs to start showing sex scenes that don't involve five thrusts and a woman having a miraculous orgasm. I mean, she's just not having that. But all the cis men and women who are watching this, they think that that's supposed to happen. And then they all think something's wrong with their sex because she doesn't just go, ah! from five thrusts. Well, she's just not gonna, nobody's touching the clitoris. It would be so easy to have that actress stick her own hand down in front between her legs and look like she's rubbing her clitoris because she's looking like she's having an orgasm. So she should look like she's doing the thing that causes that. And I think one of the things we need to teach young women and young men and people of all ages, really, and all genders is that 
if nobody is stimulating the parts of the body that need stimulation, they're, they're both outer, they're outer parts. And I call it outer course. That's the word I coined a couple of years ago. But the intercourse isn't causing the orgasm. It's causing the orgasm for the man because his outer part is going inside and getting stimulated by someone else who isn't getting stimulated at the time unless somebody's stimulating her. So unless the women are touching their own breasts and their own clitoris or their partners are, then they're not getting that stimulation, which is why self-love teaching is so important. It is so important for people to learn that masturbation isn't a thing you do really fast in a bathroom before someone knocks the door down because then you're going to think intercourse is about really fast. It's not. Like men need to make love to themselves slowly and nicely and find out how good it feels if you're not rushing. And women need to know where their clitoris is before I tell them during a pap. It's just way too long. They should know long before they have intercourse opportunities with anyone. They should be exploring their bodies alone as part of waiting for the right person to share sexuality with instead of jumping in with somebody who has no idea what they're doing and who's trying to get their penis inside because that's what they're told sex is. And then the women are like, well, why didn't that feel very right for me? That didn't feel great. And then they're trying to drink to make it feel better. I mean, this is the opposite of how our bodies are built. Our bodies are built to be explored and licked and loved and touched and all of this miraculous stuff that they're not allowed to show on TV because it's bad. Well, if it was bad, we wouldn't have been created with parts of our bodies that are built for the sole purpose of making us orgasm. That orgasm is telling our brain what we want to do again if we want a species. People of all genders have that same part of the brain and it responds to the dopamine from the clitoral and penis orgasms in the same way. So if we want women to feel satisfied, they really need to get in touch with their clitoris and they really need to stop all the noise in their head that says, don't, 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 don't. Because that noise is not coming from them. It's not coming from their biology. It's coming from our fear of talking about sex in the first place, for which we negotiated talking about intercourse because we wanted to prevent pregnancy and STDs. But then we untalked <laughs> about everything else. And somehow all those other everything else's became gross, bad, and wrong. And they're all the pleasure parts of sex. And if pleasure is gross, bad, and wrong, well, it wouldn't have been built into our biochemistry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that is so beautiful. How did you get to the point where you're like, there needs to be a book on foreplay and I'm going to write it? Well, I've been talking about giving these sex seminars since the 90s. I think someone once called me from a university that I had attended during my philosophy degree on a visiting thing. And and they said they were doing a health week on things we don't talk about. And everyone said that they needed to call Teresa Wood. And I made a joke that changed my life. <laughs> I just said, because I was doing my pre-medical courses at the time. Oh, I see. You want me to talk to 500 people at once about female ejaculation? <laughs> and, uh, and she said, that's exactly what we want. <laughs> and we laughed and laughed. And then I did it. I wrote a talk. And then I thought, well... Women won't come to a talk about female ejaculation if they're ejaculating because they're shy about it. They don't want to present themselves as that. So I need to make a women's only talk. And then I needed to make a talk that men would also attend. 
And I made that more global. And I realized that what men really needed to hear if they were heterosexual men sleeping with heterosexual women was that women weren't really getting sex when they were having intercourse and that they needed to know. And then I thought about, you know, the word foreplay and what the problem was. So I wrote that talk kind of for them. I think at the time I called it hot sex tips for guys from dykes. So there was like a huge line up down the hall of boys and the little gay boy that was running the front comes running in to interrupt my female ejaculation workshop for women and says, I'm sorry to interrupt because there's a lineup of straight guys outside the hall. And I just so excited to tell you that and ran back out. But that's how it all started. And this talk I gave to the women was like just to normalize that they are truly having the experience that they're having, that everyone's telling them they're not having if they're squirting. And we discussed squirting and I gave a talk on that. So those became my kind of two talks. But as I spoke about those and got invited to more and more universities to start giving lectures, I realized that the biggest sex organ is still the brain. And what stops most women in my experience is the shame, um, bad, wrong, body, not right kind of dialogue. So part of that is body, not right. The other part is shame, bad, wrong. Those are two separate things. Like so many women don't touch themselves or they think it's gross or they'd never do it in front of their partner. And it's like so hot to have a partner who's touching themselves and they have no idea because there's no porn like that and there's no Hollywood like that. And so actually... Media-wise, a lot of our sex education, it was kind of illegal to show positive sexual things for anyone under R-rated movies or PG at the time. The G movies had no sex at all unless it was sexual abuse or rape topics. Those were allowed. So a funny thing has happened. We're silencing all the healthy stuff and discussing with people who are thriving sexually. I mean, our, we're animals. Once we start having our periods, we're, we're sexual. And, and even you'll see little infants touching themselves. I mean, sexuality is such a normal part of animal behavior. It's starting so early and these fantasies are forming while these kids are seeing whatever we throw at them and then they get to be adults and they're 30 years old and they don't understand why the sexual fantasies they have are so non-feminist. Well, they're non-feminist because that's what we were shown on television is very non-feminist approaches to sexuality. And then they're stuck. These women who want to touch themselves are like, well, I don't have anything to fantasize about. I'm like, no, you, you probably do. You probably locked it away in that area of your brain where like, you're not supposed to think about things. Because from an empowered woman perspective, it doesn't sound like I should be thinking of someone throwing me down and forcing me to do something or whatever. But unfortunately, if that's all you were allowed to see when you were six, seven, eight, nine, forming these fantasies, And then all you could do is lock them away because fantasies were just bad and I'm not going to touch myself and all this. You've got this Pandora's box full of seven-year-old ideas. And unless you let them free, they're stuck there. And if they're stuck there, so are you. You're stuck in this, like, I can't access my sexual ideas because they're bad. So my feminism, as I say in my talks, is whatever you fantasize about doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not you're feeding your body water because your brain's going to say, do that again, 
food because to survive, you need food. Your brain's going to say, do that again. And orgasm because that's the only thing that's going to say, do that again with dopamine at your nucleus accumbens. Anything else that's stopping you along the way is either society, what society thought you ought to know or ought to do, and your reactions to that. And unfortunately, it's not serving any of us and it's not serving the men because the men have all these desires that they're feeding regularly with their masturbation and then watching this stuff on porn that isn't really how we would do it if we naturally explored ourselves. So they're repeating, repeatedly giving themselves rewards at their brain for the wrong kind of sexual activities. And the women are giving themselves no positive feedback. So you've got people with zero libido, seeing people with maximum libido for something that if they repeat, will give the partner less libido. (laughs) And then we wonder why we're coming to see Dr. Wood for sexual therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I love your opinion. I want your opinion on, um, I think it's a pandemic of low desire. Women Mm. coming in saying, I have low desire. I need to be fixed. Give me the fix for low desire. Yeah. Give me your opinion on that. Well, I think I've probably said it for the entire time we've been talking, but the low desire, in my opinion, comes from low dopamine at the nucleus accumbens. And when you said, you know, women don't feel that they're frustrated, I think it's like a kid who doesn't know they're hungry. Like, we don't really know what sexual frustration feels like. And as a matter of fact, some of the literature out there says it's really normal for women just to have a responsive desire only. I remember in medical school, I was hearing that talk and I said, excuse me, like, how do you explain lesbians if women have a responsive desire only? And the answer was, well, she's just responding to her partner. And I'm like, who is also a woman? (laughs) Like, At some point, one of them had to have desire. And it's such a joke because it has all these women who have a drive feel like, oh my God, am I weird? Am I over-sexual? Am I blah, blah, blah? No, the norm of a human body is to have enough desire to cause the society to grow, right? Like we're supposed to procreate at some point. Maybe now we can quell that a little bit and focus more on pleasure, which is great because we need less population. So let's have more pleasure. But we don't even know what that looks like. So I think what we've done is kind of moved away from all the healthy biochemical reactions. And you'll find that women who masturbate, so we're always like, oh, you better save yourself for your partner and not masturbate, it's bad, wrong. Actually, women who masturbate have far more sexual desire for partner partnered sex than those who don't, partly because their partnered sex also includes clitoral stimulation because they know what to do and they know how to teach it or they know how to say faster, slower, here, more, there, more. And I encourage women, you know, like at the end of the day, if you guys are having partnered sex and you're close, like you're the master of your own body. Like if your clitoris needs it a certain way and it's super hard for other people to do that at the time, just gently push that hand out of the way or, or the tongue or whatever it is and stick yours down there and start doing what you need to do. Because at the end of the day, getting your brain to get the reward that says do that again is the pleasure goal that will feed libidos. So sometimes a woman will come to me with no desire. It's the same story as always. You know, you say, why do I talk about foreplay? Well, for 25 years, I've been seeing heterosexual couples who can't understand why she doesn't want it and he does. And all I add, 
is the advice to take penetration out of the picture for a couple of months and do outer course only. And I teach them how to do it and they're having a wild time and they don't even know if they want to reincorporate penetration. So we do it slowly with fingers and stuff like that. And then they, by the time they bring it back in and the clitoris is involved the whole time, they're like, oh my God, like, why didn't we meet you 20 years ago? I'm like, well, I was, you know, I was young too. (laughs) Figuring it all out. So I love it. I think the loss of foreplay is the loss of the sex for women and calling it play allowed us to mention it and then dismiss it. And I have couples all the time where the fellow is like, yeah, well now we just try to get to the point faster. I'm like, okay, so it sucks for her. Good. Okay. So how's that working for your relationship? (laughs) And I don't say that. Obviously I say it very gently because you've got to cuddle these people and it's not their fault. They don't know. They think like you said, penis vagina. Well, penis vagina has one person's pleasure organ with another person's birthing canal. (laughs) Who's having fun there? Right. And then it's the woman's fault for not wanting more of it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. The woman's brain just needs dopamine like everybody else's. That's just my bottom line. Like everyone needs that reward. And if the libido is low, they're probably not getting it. I think that's my big problem with, I mean, being a physician, I can prescribe medications, right? And so I get to have the wonderful opportunity of prescribing these new FDA approved meds for low desire, which work by increasing dopamine. And to me, I'm like, but you're missing the complexity and the nuance and you're still missing the clitoris and you're still missing prioritizing her pleasure. If I just feed your brain dopamine and it doesn't work because you're missing all this other stuff, now you're even more of a quote unquote failure because you failed the med, right? And then women just beat themselves up even more. Some docs love these meds and some women love these meds, but what's your opinion about them? Well, like all medication, we should only use them if we can't get to the place that we're at naturally. Like, for example, you take diabetes medication if, you know, you're unable or unwilling to stop having a constant source of sugar that is constantly stimulating your insulin, that is forcing your cells to not want to see insulin and to resist it and insulin resistance equals diabetes. So if you are, I'll say to my, when I was doing family medicine more, I would say to my patients, like, I can give you the medicine that does this, or you can just stop eating the way that you're eating that is causing it to be like this all the time. You can intermittent fast, you can lower your sugars, blah, blah. We can do these things. We're animals. If we treated our animal bodies like their animal nature, we wouldn't need medications for it. It's the same thing as Viagra. Like you can give someone Viagra to keep something hard, but if they don't get hard, Viagra doesn't do anything, right? So you can give this reward and if dopamine is on getting into a nucleus accumbens, I mean, we have the physiology and nucumbens saying, do that again. Why do we put that amount of medication into our entire system? Hope it times right with the activity you want to promote and not some other activity she happens to be doing. All of a sudden, she's really, really into reading books or whatever she was doing that minute. (laughs) You're giving the reward that you're acting like she shouldn't automatically be having from a sport that doesn't provide it. So why don't you teach the sport that does? (laughs) Because we've untaught it. And now we can't teach it generation to generation because there's no one to teach it anymore, except people like us who have studied it. 
And if we unlearn that notion of penis and vagina and reteach clitoris and penis as the access to the kind of dopamine reward at your brain that you need, and it's vulva, not vagina, penetration is a beautiful feeling for people, but it is not the orgasmic result that tells you you have to do that again to survive as a species. And so what's happening is we're biochemically depressing women sexually. Like depression is the depressed ability of this cell to communicate with this cell, right? So we've got, you know, our axons and our dendrites and how many neurotransmitters are floating between them and at the right rate, that's that's a non-depressed brain. And if there's gaps too big or we've got an inflammation in here or not enough neurotransmitters, we're not having the communication that causes us to act in a healthy way in our society and we feel flat. So that's what depression is, is flat, biochemically uninterested in repeating your activity. Powerful. (laughs) That is like such a good t-shirt. I don't have low libido. I'm just biochemically uninterested in repeating that activity. (laughs) So good. Let's talk about female ejaculation. Oh, yay. Let's. (laughs) So I think there's, I think, you know, where I'm coming from is like, it's become kind of a performance-based task for people, which turns, quote unquote, turns me off from female and telling like, because there's so so much shoulds, like, oh, you should, or you shouldn't, or what it means. So I think I've like, take all those layers off for me. And like, let's talk about female ejaculation. All right. I'm excited to do this because I couldn't agree with you more. I think that what happens, I mean, I even get criticized for saying that we got to look more at female orgasm because orgasm is a goal. I'm like, no, what we're talking about is de-goaling penetrative sex as the goal. That's what the goal is. Anything else is probably what we should be enjoying and we don't know very much about, right? But don't stop the doctors and researchers who are looking at female orgasm and squirting ejaculation immiculation because that's the Latin for squirting. And um, we need Latin words to talk about biological functions. And um, female something is just you know, they're not comparable. So why do that? Right. And we just get confused. I used to call it ejaculation because Jack has nothing to do with it. (laughs) This isn't about Jack. It's about Jane. But you know, now that we understand that there are like about 50 genders out there and that lauding the binary gender thing of male and female extremes was actually just like a human sociology project. It wasn't really what nature has done. Or, and as science reveals how many gender options there are out there and that we could be a little more calm about thinking what's right and wrong from our own judgment point of view. It's really different to talk about something as female or male, right? So, or Jack and Jane. <laughs> so immiculation, squirting, like the stuff that's pouring out of women's bodies, I think we have to separate goal-oriented conversations of those who aren't experiencing something from explaining what people are experiencing that science has no idea how to talk about yet. So while we're protecting people who don't Amicalate yet or at all or never will, which is totally normal because different bodies do different things. We can't say it's a pornographic invention when we have hundreds of women. I have hundreds of female doctors who have this experience, who know it isn't urine, who 
either can have it at the same time as orgasm or have it at a separate time as orgasm who are making huge messes if they don't have a big soaker sheet. They want to know what's going on and we can't protect the people who don't have it and are having what's like deemed normal sex out there and not explain to these women what this pleasure experience they're having is. There's also been lots of studies that show that there's prostate-specific antigen in it, and that's not something we find in urine. So we know that if prostate-specific antigen is showing up in a fluid, it's probably not urine. Doing a study showing urea is also there just tells someone like me who understands the biology that, yeah, if they're both passing through the same exit hole, there's a good chance that there's a little bit of urea in that, right? So the question that's boggling the minds of scientists is where is all this fluid coming from and how can there really be like half a liter or a couple of cups of liquid coming out of a human during sexuality that isn't urine? Well, we don't know. <laughs> that's what's so funny to me is it's 2021 and to spare the women who are like expected to now perform or society is acting like they have to perform or to, to spare the conversation that there's a new thing women have to do to look good or seem good or be having the right amount of fun when no one's touching their clitoris in the first place um, is a joke to me because the reason we do science is to explain why people are having an experience. And we have not told these thousands of women why they are having that experience. We know they're having it. And we want it to be something we already understand because how could science not have figured everything out yet? Well, in 2006, Dr. Penhill was still mapping out the cavernous nerve and finding out that we are probably cutting it in some hysterectomies. That was 2006. And at the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, when she gave her her talk about what was going on, someone said, with all due, you know, we, I've been doing hysterectomies for 30 years. No one's ever complained about that. And someone else at the other microphone, another doctor attending, another male doctor attending said, with all due respect, did you ever ask them? Well, of course not. We're not asking, how's your sexual function pre-hysterectomy and post? And oh, that cavernous nerve that runs right past the uterus, did I cut it or not? We're not asking because we don't even know till 2006 that it runs right beside. So unless you know how to dissect it out and how do you dissect something out you don't even believe exists. <laughs> but you know, when we're in anatomy class, we were taught how these nerves came into the pelvis and how they came out at the clitoris and nothing in between except in the male where we saw the full pass. So these things aren't being studied and she had to have the anatomy department reopen for business so she could get cadavers to go prove in younger bodies that there was actually a pathway. So it's astounding to me that in 2021, there are still parts of the female body, anatomy, physiology, and it's all in the realm of sexual pleasure that we're not allowed to touch with the 10-foot pole. It's very hard to get people off of the 10-foot pole. Totally. Very, very true. I, I think, you know, as a surgeon and as a pelvic surgeon, you know, you take out prostates for prostate cancer, you do prostate surgeries. That's where the male ejaculate volume, 80% of it comes from. I see the size of that gland required to make that amount of fluid. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I am one of the full believers in female prostates and prostate-specific antigen being measured. I get all that. But for me, the volume of some of this, you know, women squirting, not having an organ of production in my surgical brain, that's where I get tripped up. Right. I, I get the whole like, who cares if it's urine? It feels great you're having, because people are like, it's okay if it's not pee. And I'm like, who cares if it's pee? That's an organ that can hold that volume. So that explains it to my surgical brain. As long as you're having fun and not hurting yourself, like who cares what it is? 100% who cares what it is. And uh, and you'll hear in some of my Instagram things, like I don't care if it's pee or not pee. I just care that it's glee, right? <laughs> and, so and really there is a moment of glee associated. It's so important for people to know that this is not an orgasm because especially for lovers who see this gush of fluid coming out, if they think that they're done, they're so wrong and they're going to have a very pathologically cuddly partner at the end. That person has not had an orgasm of what I'm calling the kind that's going to tell the brain to do that again, a clitoral orgasm. They're not having that. They're having an amicalation. They're having a huge squirting of excited fluid. It feels amazing. It washes out a fair bit of the of the slippity slip stiff stuff that helps with penetration. So if there is going to be penetration, which I don't recommend you do every time, then adding some lube back in is almost needed in people who ejaculate a lot of fluid because it's quite a, it's an alkaline fluid. It's quite non-slippery. It's more hydrophilic. It's more watery than, than slippery. And so it does need to, you do need to replace the lube in some ways, ironically, but it, it might have some value in terms of its alkalinity and keeping the sperm we want to think evolutionarily, why would we amicalate? Well, there are some theories about why. And then I just want to touch your piece about like, how could we have that much fluid coming from that small of an area? 100%. And I think what we forget about in anatomy is that there is an internal sphincter between the bladder and the urethra in men. And it closes when they ejaculate in order to stop what we call retrograde ejaculation. And we have medications that modify that, et cetera. I even suggested it during med school as a possible like birth control for men. If we just relaxed that sphincter and allowed them to retrograde, then maybe women wouldn't have to go through all the hormone troubles they have with modifying their bodies for the sake of someone else's pleasure, sex, penetration, causing them so many problems. Like, why don't we have men handle their own procreative issues? I was met with no, (laughs) but I do think it's a good idea. The thing is that they have that sphincter and XX chromosome people don't tend to have that uh, sphincter. So, So most people with clitorises don't have an internal sphincter between the urethra and the bladder, anything made in that urethral area, like in a gland, anything liquid produced in there would retrograde into the bladder and be kept in the bladder with urine. So it would come out with urine, in my opinion, if it's coming out of the urethra. And that's what I think is missing because the big study that did away with all the great European studies about what immaculation was, was the study showing uh, two people making love in an MRI and it showed her bladder filling. They were doing a study for completely other reasons. And in science, you're not allowed to do a study for other reasons and then see something and, and make any conclusions about that. But with women's health, we do. And so we saw a full bladder and we said, see, you're in. But we didn't do anything to make sure that that was a fluid that was being cleared through the kidneys. And we totally know how to do that. We just haven't. And I would love to do that research. I'm not in a research lab, but if there was a researching gynecologist out there who wanted to do that research, I've actually already done it 
with a substance I know is cleared with the kidneys only and a group of women who are willing to masturbate onto soaker sheets for me. And we looked at color and we can tell when a person is urinating and immaculating, it is a different thing that's happening. But there is a bit of dilute urine in the immaculation. And that to me is just due to that retrograde ejaculation. Is all that fluid ejaculate or immaculation? Probably not. There's probably a combination, but these are women who pee first, empty their bladder, have sex, fill their bladder, squirt all over the place, and then get up and pee afterwards. And the stuff all over the sheets doesn't have the same color as the pee. So we're missing something. And to protect the women who think they have something more to perform and to protect the gynecologists and doctors who don't have the experience themselves, we're leaving a whole bunch of gynecologists and doctors who do and thousands of women who do with no answers because we think we've done the science to prove it doesn't. Jen Gunther's book even says, you know, I've seen these porn videos. They're definitely filling themselves with fluid and squirting it out. And I'm like, I wish someone was watching some of the women I've made love to because there's nothing that went in. There's lots that's coming out. And it's not accurate to say that because you've watched some porn, especially someone who does so much evidence-based conversation, watching porn does not dismiss what women are experiencing. And I think we're so scared that something's been invented that women have to live up to, that we've forgotten that women are suffering from this huge pleasure experience they have because no one will tell them what it is. Right. And we're so focused on what it is instead of like, who cares? Also, who cares? Yeah. like also, who, Well, okay. But we wouldn't say who cares about a male function we didn't understand, especially if the male function was causing some kind of like uproar, right? I mean, the uproar I don't know if you've heard the vagina monologues, but the vagina monologues were all these different women's experience of, of sex and their vaginas and vulvas, et cetera. And the one about squirting is a woman who squirted so much on her first date with her boyfriend when she was first exploring sex and was so embarrassed. She calls it the waterfall and she ruins his car <laughs> and she never has sex again her whole life. Oh. And this happens all the time. I have clients today who are not having sex because they are so embarrassed about the amount of fluid that comes out of them. And it doesn't matter if I say it's pee or not pee or give them this whole conversation. They are so embarrassed. But if it was like, oh yeah, 35 or 20%, I don't care what percent of women have this phenomenon. We think it's because of this evolutionary need. And we think that's why only this many people are actually going to see the fluid. Maybe this many more do it and don't see it. And maybe all those don't have it at all because it wasn't necessary for procreation. And therefore it might've not, you know, we could say this in a way that would make it so normal and also so non-expected, but we silence the conversation because we think it's a fake expectation. I can promise you it's not fake. Love it. Do you think, just to clarify, I really love the retrograde ejaculation theory with the sphincter. For So do you think some women are squirting and not quote unquote seeing it because it goes retrograde? Uh, very possible. As a matter of fact, when I wasn't a doctor and I was just giving this talk, I used to give the talk for how to make it happen. And I said, like straight from the get-go, it's not going to work for everyone. But for all of those of you that are, that feel like you're about to pee and you're holding it back the whole time, 
I encourage you to try not holding it back if you want to see if it works or not. And not holding it back is the biggest thing that helps people release it if it's there. And what that does is stop them from having all kinds of sex with holdback. It's actually quite hard to get a clitoral orgasm when you're focusing on not peeing. So in my old talk, I would say, okay, I would like, okay, so this is me. I stopped in the middle of sex and I'm going to go pee because I feel like I have to. So I'm sitting on the toilet. Nothing's happening. How come nothing's happening? Because when your clitoris is excited and it's wrapped around a urethra and it's all hard and like a penis would be if it was hard, it's actually quite challenging to push urine out through that hole. The thing that's strong enough to push urine out through the hole is that kind of excitement that women are having when they're having the squirting. And it's a huge amount of pressure. It's very different feeling than urinating, which is more of a relaxation sensation. It is not a relaxation sensation to squirt. It's more of a pushing out sensation. And I think urine's not coming out very easily. But if you clamp down in addition to that and resist then you are probably able to stop it, but it's probably also stopping your clitoral stimulation from getting to where it needs to get. So what I ended up concluding in my talks, and people would write me all the time in those days, the only thing we had was email or letters (laughs) to say it worked. And so they were actually able to do that if they were the kind of person who was holding back. They're like, oh yeah, that's me. I do feel like I had to pee every time. And then I then I go pee after and nothing comes out. Well, it's not coming out because it wasn't pee. It doesn't have that force for it. You weren't really full. So I think there is a phenomenon. It happens like almost uncontrollably in some women. In my experience, I ejaculated for many years before I even knew what an orgasm was. So that's what I, I thought I was having amazing sex and I was. And I was making amazing messes, but I wasn't having a clitoral orgasm till I was about 22 because I wasn't taught about masturbation either. So all of this stuff and the reason I'm passionate about it is because I know how much closing people's minds closes their pleasure, right? Fortunately, I was only with people who thought it was amazing. So I never had a bad feeling about it. But when I saw the vagina monologues, I cried for that woman who like thought she was so bad and wrong and gross. And there are so many women who see me who think they're bad and wrong and gross because they've got this. And then so many others who think they're bad and wrong because they can't do it. When are we going to understand that there is diversity in our population? And some people have some experiences and some people have others. Beautiful. That is fantastic. Yes, women, that's what we need to know. Everything, it's okay. It's really okay. (laughs) So tell us where people can find you. Tell us about the books coming out. Where are you? I know I follow you on Instagram. So can you share that up as we wrap up this hour? Yeah, for sure. I'm Dr. Teresa Wood. There's no H, so it's T-E-R-E-S-A and Wood like the joke. I'm Dr. Wood. Yes, I am. (laughs) My poor mother would be like, how did she end up with that last (laughs) name? Yeah. So just W-O-O-D. So T-E-R-E-S-A-W-O-O-D and then D-R for doctor. No punctuation. I'm Dr. Teresa Wood on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, which I've never really used, but I'm still there and it does copy over. So you can find me there. I don't really respond there. And then my website is just drteresawood.com. So you can follow me at any of those places. And then the books, I, um, I finished writing the one about 
foreplay, which is not just for play. And I'm working on the one about fantasies, uh, just freeing the mind, the rest will follow. And then the third book will be the female ejaculation book, which won't be called that because you all know I don't like those words. I love it. That's going to be a great trifecta. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I'll put the links in the show notes and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Nice talking to you.